Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatik. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Pawatik, sitting here with Aaron Cameron on day two of the Toronto Real Estate Forum. It is uh, end of the day. I think we are looking at the sessions here about to wind up. As always, this is a, a monumental event and a test of everybody's moral fortitude to uh, to get through it. But we're, we're almost there. Uh, this is part of our speaker video series. I want to thank our sponsors, Dow Vukovic, ML Emporio Properties, and Turner and Townsend. This is our last and final guest of a, of a nine-guest run over the last two days. I'm actually pretty interested in this because... I was going to say, I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah. Even though we've done eight already, and this is the ninth, I just got a shot of adrenaline. We spent about 30 seconds with Rob talking about what we're about to talk about and hold on to the ropes. This is going to be a wild one. Out of our comfort zone, but it's always good very. to do that. So, uh, But the guest is uh, Rob Murkison, co-founder of Intelligent Buildings. Rob, welcome. Glad to be here. Excited to be here. This is going to be fun because it's going to expose how little Adam and I know about a lot of things. And so let's start. <laughs> Rob, thanks for coming on. We always like to do this. Let's just start with how you got into real estate, uh, what your career looked like, and how you ended up where you are today. Self-confession here, I'm a nerd. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. So, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, while my friends were out playing sports, I was playing on computers. And to sort of date myself, I had a TRS-80. Have y'all ever heard of that? I don't think so. No, Radio Shack TRS-80. Wow. <laughs> I know the 186s. That's, yeah, that's yeah, 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 yeah. It was, like, it was the 86s, right? Okay. And uh, it was before the disk drive, so I had a tape drive, <laughs> you know, and then you would load up your data on that thing and you'd run the computer and you, and I'd program things. So I was, I was just I'll, always been a nerd. And then I got into college and played with computers. And then I thought about going into like programming and technology. I went to a school in the States called Duke University and I'm going to get into something different. I went and got my real estate license and I start to see how backwards real estate was when it came to technology. And I started off selling technology and then about 10 years into my career, I just sort of quit my job and started a company and that company called Intelligent Buildings is that our desire, our vision, if you will, is to intelligently impact the world's built environment. And we've been in business for almost two decades. Wow. And um, we've worked on billions and billions, think count six or seven billion square feet. We've impacted portfolios across the globe. And for the vast majority of that time, we just, we have some of the smartest people, I would say in the world, humbly that have come and worked our organizations or work in a lot of other places now. And we learned a lot about what it meant to have a smart building for a purpose. And what's really changed here in the last, call it three years, I would imagine, I actually, I was out of, listened to one of the ESG panels earlier and they said two years ago was the first time the term ESG was brought up here, two years ago. Now I wasn't here two years ago, but I didn't know what ESG really was two years ago. And so what's happened now is that there is a really strong purpose to deal with technology intelligently impacting the world's built environment if we're going to decarbonize buildings. And so I'll just give you a, a stat and then we can go on to other stuff. You want know a gigaton of carbon is? It's a really big thing, right? And if you go and look at the carbon that is emitted across the globe every year, it's around 36 gigatons of carbon. If you do the math, I won't go through all this, commercial buildings, what this group is about, the emissions, not the concrete and the steel and the glass, what they emit to the globe is almost four 
gigatons of that 36 gigatons. It's almost 10, over 10%. Just from operations, not from uh, construction? Just from operations. So that excludes the deconstruction, construction of the sites. No, wow. this, is, this is just, it's, it's just the emissions and it's the commercial, not the single family residential. So that includes multifamily, right? Sure. That yeah. does an office and life science Everything. and all stuff. But that's a big number, and it, it's an important thing now to understand what you have to deal with in order to get there. And our mission as an organization today, as we achieve this thing, is really how are you going to address that technology debt that sits in the building so that you can bring it down, so that you can use the data to drive better decision-making and properly invest with the right budget cycles to decarbonize your building goes a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's start with just technology debt, what you mean by that. So if you think about a typical commercial building, it has an HVAC system put in by one group, has a lighting system put in by another group. It has an access control system put in another group. You know, you start layering all these systems. Typical building may have 20 different types of technology systems in there. And the way that buildings are constructed is they're done in divisions, right? You have a division that does the concrete structure and you have a division that does the cabling division 27, you have all these different divisions and they all sort of have blinders on. And so what happens is the building gets designed and built with all the technologies and silos, and then it just gets handed over to operations and they really didn't have a lot of say in what happened. And so then that mess, if you will, starts getting band-aided and band-aided and band-aided. Put in a new network, you upgrade an HVAC system, you change the lighting system out, whatever. And the technology that conditions that environment and makes it safe just keeps getting added on and added on. So digital technology didn't really exist in the built environment until the late 80s, early 90s. And so from that point forward, as we've digitized more and more, this technology debt is just built up and built up and built up. And what's happening is that as we have these decarbonization conversations, trying to get that four gigatons down, what's happening is people are realizing you have to use asset managers or having to realize you have to use data to drive that decisions, but they don't necessarily have access to it because of all this technology debt. And a classic example would be like metering in a building, just getting the meter information from the electricity, the water, the gas steams, the acronyms called wages, just getting that typical building owner or a portfolio owner can't get that data with high levels of integrity. And if you can't get that to start out and you're doing a decarbonization push, which almost everybody is, then you have to start somewhere. You must be in a, a golden era of your business in that, you know, 10 years ago at a cocktail party, trying to explain what you do Not so much today, about, yeah. or even forget cocktail Dirt. party, just in a real estate group 10 years ago, trying to explain what you do versus today. I mean, the value that people place on it, the importance is getting, the attention is getting, the resources is getting evolved hundred X, you know, from, from 10. I think what you're talking about is like just building management systems and it's the sophistication of building management systems to have that data that's all communicating and then being able to program it and be smart about usage and who needs what and what. And, and, and what that data looks like so you can start making even better decisions on your usage and, and that brings everything down. Smart building management systems wasn't even really a thing a couple of years ago. Maybe just talk about what that looks like and how you're, I, I'm assuming you're on a, the advisory side. You're not the tech guys going in and installing it, but maybe well, you are. You tell sure, sure, sure. So yeah, maybe, maybe I wasn't clear. For 20 years, right? For the first 15 years of that, of that journey, we were just the smart guys and gals. What we saw is that the industry did need some consulting and smart folks, but they needed answers and solutions and outcomes that happen right now. 
So what we are mainly is for our customers and our customers are commercial building owners, we are a service that connects and protects the building systems, all the digital stuff that sits in that building so that they can decarbonize, right. so they can reduce operating costs, so they can improve the occupant experience. So you're putting, the, you're putting the hardware in there to pull the data, giving them a user interface, letting them use it, and advise them how to, how to read yeah. it, what, to, what decisions And to we make. do it in a really simple way because what, what we were- I guarantee is not simple. No, 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 no. Well, well, it's sort of simple like an iPhone simple, right? Okay. Yeah. So, so it's eloquently simple. All we do is we put one box in the building and then everything else is software and processes. So we can go into any building and get a little nerdy here. Doesn't matter what the existing network is, what the IP address is or anything like that. We just stick this box in the building and it, call it magically, goes and gets all that data, makes it safe, flows it up to the cloud so that you can now use that data to go drive better decisions. But more importantly, addressing the problem in the industry is that now that we've connected and protected the building, we can use AI in a very practical way because we can look at all the conversations that are happening in the building and we can tell the building owner what they have from a technology debt perspective. So we can go in there and say, listen, for the last 20 years, you've been building all this stuff up. This is the different devices on your HVAC system. This is different devices on your lighting system, whatever. We bring that together and say, now here's all this stuff. We're going to work with you back to the dollar side to figure out an investment plan to practically invest in that building so that you can decarbonize, enhance an experience and reduce cost. And if you're largely software-based too, it helps with the ongoing, keeping up with the most current version of technology available. And part of the problem with buildings is you bury some internet cables throughout a building and then the next week somebody revolutionizes that entire process and you're digging out your walls to try and uh, keep up with the neighbors, right? It's yeah, absolutely. And you, and you have to look at, there's a, for the audience, I mean, we talk about technology and most of us, our minds go to information technology, which is something that I, I'll date myself talking about TRS-80. I grew up in the days of the CD, like the compact disc, not the certificate deposit, but the, <laughs> co the compact, the compact disc, right? And, and when it first came out, it was called AAD. It was like analog, analog, digital. And then it became ADD, which is analog, digital. Then notice this is all, everything's recorded digital, all that stuff. When we think about information technology, most folks would think of di digitally native stuff, right? It, it goes in there like your bank account or your social media all stuff. But in a building, we have operational technology. And the difference is that it starts off as analog and it ends up as analog because it's physical in and physical out. It's digital in the middle. And because of that, that nature, the operational technology interacting, we call it cyber physical, not cybersecurity, but cyber physical, there's some risk associated with all that stuff. So you have to address those risks. But if you do, now the digital technologies can safely and positively impact how the building is operating. Does that make sense? Absolutely. How much interaction do you have with regulators? We're very familiar with the laws. We do not influence the laws. The reason I ask is this is kind of a carrot stick thing to a certain degree, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And so you're obviously pushing from one end, but you need the stick. To help. Absolutely. So how much, where is that in the U.S.? And, and we can quickly reference Europe's further ahead than the rest of the world on this stuff. And yep. where are you and how do you, how do you kind of. A couple of things so, so, so for the audience. Um, in the EU, this is regulation, right? To the point that pretty soon in the next four or five years, you cannot borrow money if you're on this thing called a creme pathway. 
that just if you are not decarbonizing your building, you can't do that. And it impacts valuation. So just really quickly, you know, and we've had this conversation quite a bit on this podcast. Yeah, you can't you can't buy a building if it doesn't have or you won't buy a building if it isn't at a certain level. And if it isn't at that certain level, that building value comes down because you got to spend money to get it up to that level. So that doesn't happen here in North America yet. It isn't happening in certain areas. So. You know, one of the questions I was asked earlier is how is Canada different from the United States? Well, you have large provinces that are like there's a movement in Ontario. There's laws and net zero. You work with the Canadian Green Bank Council on net zero. In the United States, we're very fragmented. I'll give you an example. We have in New York City, there's uh, something, I don't know if you've talked about this on the show before, called Local Law 97. And Local Law 97 says for the city of New York, this impacts any building, I believe over 25,000 square feet. If you are over a certain number and this number gets tighter and tighter over a year, you'll pay $268 per carbon ton. So it puts math to it. So there, there is a law that goes into effect January 1st of 2024, and it will become more and more stringent leading up to 2050. And so it is now, there's a price and y'all have carbon taxes here in Canada and New York City, they have that, they put a price on that. Boston's done it. It's called Birdo. The state of Colorado has done it. There's actually a, a shout out to Lottie at uh, the Institute of Market Transformation. She runs an organization in the United States called the Institute of Market Transformation, IMT.org. And they track this in almost 40 some states across the United States. So anyway, there's movement at the regional level, but there's not movement at the national level in the United States. Well, like many real estate problems, it is solved by patchwork more than anything else, right? It's uh, not uncommon to uh, to the industry. I mean, but those kinds of real financial penalties are, are more of a recent uh, innovation and effective because people respond to them. I mean, that directly impacts valuations. I mean, I brought up the podcast before, but I'll mention it again. I remember being at one of these forums in uh, the prairies, probably in 2015 or 16, and the idea then of tenants paying extra for buildings that had outsized environmental uh, considerations was just laughed off the panel. And that's not that long ago. That was, you know, that's six, seven years ago. And that kind of concept that investing in buildings for the financial benefit of the owner, anything other than just, you know, we'll call it almost vanity, was a, a laughable concept. And this is not 30 years ago. This was six or seven years ago. In this short time frame, we've seen the attitude change big time, but it will be either regulatory or financial shift that will really kick it into the next gear to reach the, the lofty goals that the countries have set in terms of decarbonization. Yes, and I want to point out, I mean, decarbonization is a, a really good reason to do deal with the technology, the technology done you're building, but there are a multitude of reasons to do it. It's just the one that is sitting there, sitting there on the forefront. Another issue that's probably near and dear to most building owners' hearts is called insurance. And what we are seeing is happening is insurance rates are just going up because the climate's getting more erratic, if you will. But there are cybersecurity risks that are associated with all this technology debt that is building up inside of your building. And if you don't quantify that technology debt, then the underwriters aren't going to underwrite it. So what's happening is as insurance rates are starting to go, they are going up. I mean, they're going up a lot. Um, what's happening because insurance contracts renew on an annual basis, riders are appearing that may not understand they're excluding a lot of the technology that is inside that building. And at least in the United States, you're not required to report any type of event that happens. But we have many customers in the United States and Canada that have had lots of events, buildings have been shut down 
because of this technology debt that is built up inside that asset. And that needs to get addressed. But if you, the good news is if you address it, you may be able to either get insurance or reduce your insurance. Is insurance recognizing it? Like we, we're, we've had this conversation on this podcast before about just you know, the hardening insurance market, the impact, obviously direct linkage to catastrophic events around the world that, that's causing that. And yet, if you have a very green building and you're carbon neutral, you're not going to get discount on your insurance. The insurance companies are not underwriting, hey, you're helping reduce carbon and therefore slowing catastrophic events. And so you're making no. sure that, it's just not, that the connection isn't there. That, that isn't there for carbon, right? but it's there for the cybersecurity. Okay. Okay. Thanks. And, and I'll, I'll just shout to another organization. There's an organization that, that's run by the ex-Defense Secretary of Defense Secretary of Rand Real Estate, Lucian Niemeyer. He runs a not-for-profit called buildingcybersecurity.org that's focused on that concept. And so if you're a commercial real estate owner, you have to deal with this. Otherwise, because of the cyber-physical nature of things, a bad hack on the building can keep your elevator from running. It can stop the conditioning of the environment because it's cyber physical. We've had um, Wired Score on this. Yeah, yeah. A similar, similar concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we work very closely with Wired Score. Wired Score is a company and they have a Wired Score certification, but they also have a Smart Score certification that sort of that looks at the technology in the building. And their 2.0, the big one, of the big changes, the two big changes are around ESG and cybersecurity. Yeah. Shout out to Andrew Friedis, who's done yep, that before, right? Um, and walking around this conference right now. Yeah. I yeah. saw him uh, an hour ago. He'll be happy to know that we, that we gave him a shout out. <laughs> yeah. The economic case for this, there's insurance implications, there's operational efficiencies. If somebody invests, you know, a dollar into this, what's the expected return over a five or 10 year time horizon? So a couple things. Our organization in this industry, there's advising and then there's this, a managed service that deals with the complexities. It has the people in there. It has the software. It has all these things. And you just get that on a monthly or annual basis. The business case is instant, I would say, because what we are doing is we are using existing budgets to connect and protect that building. If you go and analyze your operating budget as an asset owner, you're already paying for different types of technology management. We're just simply consolidating that. And without any CapEx, now connecting and protecting it. Now, once we connect and protect it, you can spend additional monies to do things with the data that's coming out of that building because you probably weren't already. But just doing this can reduce the insurance rate and make your asset higher because you're keeping a bad event from happening. But then the business case becomes, because one of the struggles is, is that if I'm going to use software and smarts to go look for, there's a, a whole industry called, I don't know if you've done this on the show, fault detection diagnostics. Have you all talked about I that? I don't before? think so, no. Okay. Well, so basically what you can do is, is you can use, if you can get the data out of the building, you can look at a space in the building and see that it's simultaneously heating and cooling. You don't have to know a lot, know that that's not a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah. You're heating and cooling a space at the same time. So what software can do is it can go look for all these things and then tell you what's wrong with your building so that your building managers don't have to go manually go do all this stuff. So the business case becomes pretty strong that now that you connect and protect at your building, now you have virtually free access to the data. So the incremental cost to go analyze that data and give you insights is so small, whether it is to reduce the operating costs, enhance the experience, or decarbonize the building, that it just becomes stronger and stronger. Does that answer your question? That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you must just have yeah. a lot of fun selling this product because it just it seems like a no-brainer. Our job is just to get the word out because once someone understands that for uh, you know less than $1,000 Canadian a month, we can start to connect a building up no matter what the size, 
we've invested a lot of time and resources and we believe because the industry to get the economics right for any type of commercial building owner. Because I imagine if you went and pulled everybody in here and asked how many uh, of them have their operating budgets going up, it's probably close to zero. (laughs) (laughs) And what we need to be able to do is reduce the budgets downward. And you can do that by looking at all the overlapping technology management costs for your digital assets in your building, consolidating that, and then now say, okay, that produces data. How can that help me do better things? What about getting involved on uh, new development? New development, candidly, is really easy if everyone gets educated, but it's hurting cats, right? Because we have the three phases. We, we have design, construction, operations. What the challenge is, and like I said, we've touched over 6 billion square feet in our 20 years. The challenge is that design group does their thing, right? And then that moves into the construction piece. And the design group may have had the intention to converge and consolidate all the technologies and make sure the systems are open and secure and all that stuff. But then it gets put out to bid because of all the silos we talked about before. And then all these silos end up not implementing what was supposed to happen on the design. And then they just go, okay, I'm done. We designed and built the building and and then the operations folks come in and they didn't have anything to do with the design and building of the building. That's changing on some organizations. But this industry standard is design and build, firewalled off from operations. What can happen in new construction, and we've done this in several buildings. We did years ago, Waterpark Place, the RBC building with Oxford. If you can get in front of this, so you can take all the technology and get all the groups together, and you can actually save money out of the gate on all the technology going in the building. And then you have operations involved from the beginning and saying, what is the purpose of the technology? And you end up saving money through the whole life cycle. So it is the absolute no-brainer on brand new construction. And we've done it in many, many buildings here in Canada. The key is getting you involved at the design phase and making sure they understand the implementation all the way through so the operation folks are handed a you know, silver platter, so to speak. Somebody like us having operations at the table and then having IT at the table. Ooh, yeah. That's where a lot of the rub happens because the property managers or construction folks, they don't obviously call the IT folks their best buds. And they all got to get together. You got to think of it as almost a real uh, Venn diagram where we have real estate knowledge, we have IT knowledge, and then there's this other circle here of whether you're trying to do decarbonization or you're trying to enhance the experience, or you're just trying to do the operational costs. And all three of those circles, they have to overlap in a Venn diagram. And if they don't, then we don't get the coordination that we need. You already mentioned uh, Oxford. What type of owner is adopting this faster than others? Just got off a panel with Karen at uh, Cadillac Fairview. They are definitely doing that. In the States, we uh, work with the U.S. federal government. Um, so that's it's very public, the General Services Administration, where we've been working with them for a better part of 13 years. And by the end of their physical year, which will be October of 24, they will have almost 150 buildings connected safely and securely. And they'll be using the data from that those buildings to drive down the operating cost and talk about an ROI, that approach that they use called GSA link, that approach that they use pays for itself in like two or three months every year. And the rest of that is just, it's just gravy. But one of the themes you hear, you got to get everyone higher purpose and there has to be some change management that takes place. Buy-in. Most crazy thing is most buildings take 25 years to pay for themselves. Is there a market segment where you're not getting penetration? And really, are mom and pops seeing the value in this, those kinds of investors? The smaller office buildings 
or buildings in general. I mean, you can do this in a medical office building. Where it really starts to make sense is when the technology density grows. Technology density and verticality. So if you're a garden style apartments, if you get on the new construction, no brainer. But if you're going to garden style apartments and they're five, 10 years old, it's a lot harder because you got to get the connectivity in there. It's always a no brainer on new construction, to your point. Where we're getting more penetration on existing assets, which I mean, that's 99% of the problem, right? Existing buildings, that's what's producing the carbon. If you go look at those where we're not getting penetration would be big industrial. It can be big, but doesn't necessarily have a lot of technology because it's just four walls. Where you're getting a lot deeper penetration would be like life sciences, healthcare. I would say class A or A plus office, because as we go into this new world, maybe not as much in Toronto, but or Europe, but definitely the United States, the office asset that is going to bring the occupants back or the tenants to rent are the ones that can integrate digital technologies into their environment. But a couple other caveats I, I mentioned is a lot of times what happens is that it is viewed as all this technology is going to require more people to run. And the reality of it is if you do it right, automation will reduce the number of people it takes to run the building. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we got to get rid of that myth. We're almost out of time here. Looking forward, you're speaking to owners of buildings right now. Like, What can they do to make the biggest impact with their buildings? First of all, I would say there's a couple of things to understand here is that there is power in your existing building. If you own a portfolio, the answer is not especially around decarbonization technology, is not to just go take the wrecking ball and knock it down <laughs> because that has steel and that has concrete and, and all those types of things. And that's a heck of a lot worse for the environment. So in that theme, what you can do is if you will connect your building and with a service like ours, that starts for less than a thousand dollars a month for Canadian dollars to, to connect, you can begin to flow that data safely and securely out of that building. That does several things. We talked about insurance. It reduces your insurance. Um, and now it gives you that data that is available to have your decarbonization com conversation. It also gives you some data to understand what you have inside of your building. But now you can begin to put other measurement devices. So specifically a meter, an electrical meter, because across the world, getting the energy calculations for a building are something that a lot of folks struggle with. In fact, we, we just added to our servers on Tuesday um, the ability to put metering into the building. So you can have our managed servers and a few, a few hundred dollars more, you can connect up a meter and now you can know the, and this is a neat concept to, that folks should know, you can know the hourly carbon accounting for your building. Because what a lot of folks don't realize is that when we talk about carbon, and it's logical once you think about it, the generation mix for the carbon that's powering your building changes every second, especially on the hourly basis. Like it could be coal, it can be steam, it can be nuclear. That carbon mix, the gen they call it a generation mix, is always changing. But most folks do a carbon calculation for their building with what's called a blended rate. One number, one factor for the entire year. So people listen to this, that's just not logical. So what we can do now that we've connected and protected our building is we can take that hourly carbon data and do true carbon calculations, carbon accounting. Why that is extremely important to a commercial building owner is we can now take that real-time data, historical real-time data, which is, by the way, usually is much lower, 10 to 15% lower than the 
average number. So there's some good in this. But now that we have that data, we can integrate it back into existing energy models like IES that, that a lot of folks may use. And we can use technology to do simulation analysis. And why this is really important back to the money is that we can then project out the capital projects that need to take place so that you can decarbonize your, your asset over a 10 or 15 year life cycle. Because a lot of times, and we're one of the only industries in the world, the commercial real estate space, that just goes and makes an investment without having a lot of data. And now we have that data to go make those decisions and do it in a very logical fashion. It's been a pleasure. Unfortunately, Rob, we're out of time. I want to thank our sponsors, Dow Vukovic, ML Emporio, Turner and Townsend for sponsoring the speaker video series. Of course, thanks to the Real Estate Forum for hosting us here at the Toronto Real Estate Forum. Thank you to First National for powering the podcast. And thank you, Rob. That was a great conversation. Very, very interesting. Before we go, where can people reach you? Sure. You can reach me on LinkedIn, Rob Murkison, or our website, Intelligent Buildings. That's with an S, intelligentbuildings.com. So we look forward to just always chatting and we're big advocates of using technology for a purpose. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Welcome to the podcast after show where Adam and I talked about the conversation we just had with uh, Rob Murkison. That was fun. Yeah. We kind of mentioned it uh, off air, but maybe we'll mention it on now. You know, this is the ninth recording we've done at the Real Estate Forum in uh, two days, which is a lot. You know, it's great to talk about real estate, but it does get a little exhausting. So it was nice to have a brand new, fresh topic right at the tail end to you know revive our spirits and with a guy that's very high energy and kind of fun to talk to. Yeah. And a cool topic. You know, it's funny. He pulled together a whole bunch of different conversations we've had over the years about these topics, right? We've talked to ESG about the importance. We've talked about carbonization and decarbonization and Carbon neutrality. We've talked about water score, obviously, with, with Andrew. Green premium. Green buildings. premiums and and brown discounts. And we've had building management system experts on. And we've had we've kind of been all over the place. And the insurance, Internet of Things, insurance experts to talk about the impact of climate, obviously. And and he kind of pulled it all together. We've talked about regulatory environments coming from Europe. Like we've all we've had all these sort of different pockets. And he kind of pulled it all together and said, "Here, like this is it's coming. It's there's a culmination of all of this." And and here I am, an American, the American company, talking to business owners across North America, getting them ready that this is the reality that we live in. To keep QB it and have a playbook for profit. Yeah. Out of all the conversations we've had, everybody's recognized there's ultimately a way to do it and it'd be accretive to your NOI. It is not a cost. No, I mean, his payback period there he talked about was, you know, unbelievable. I mean, it's virtually free at that point. And I think yeah, one of the pricing quotes he threw out there was, $1,000 on a building of any size. I mean, think of the NOI being spun off of a 400-unit apartment building and what $1,000 a month means to that. I also like that it wasn't just about new builds, right? In fact, it was the opposite. It was it was the, the existing assets that need the TLC, that need this approach, that need this sort of investigation, solutionizing, you know. Oh, you're so corporate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know what I mean, right? It's just to get the data to figure out what you need to do to decarbonize that building. Well, it's gotta be cool too. I mean, I kind of touched on it in the, in the interview, but when the, the tools and technology available to you, like leapfrogs forward every couple of years, it's gotta be amazing. If you're a dentist for the last 20 years, I don't know that you've seen a revolution in the way that you carry about your business, but for him, there would have been, you know, the tools available 20 years ago for building tech versus now would be 
a different planet. It wouldn't be even recognizable. Yeah. And, and he's been doing it for 20 years. It's a while to just to, to think about what he's experienced. That's a little vision, early 2000s. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. 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 Don't have to explain myself. Talk about playing the long game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure out of his competition, 90% of them started 18 months ago. Yeah. Founded in 2018. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, that is a topic. I mean, is there an argument? Maybe we don't even touch on it uh, enough. But every time we do get on this topic, it is always interesting. And I mean, I, I would love to, I, I'm not a building owner myself, but I would love to see like, what that actually looks like in an investment pro forma in terms of, because he, he's talking about, you spend just the base cost to basically unlock other opportunities as well. Like what you could really do, level of investment required, the return you see on it, and what that would actually do your overall yield. Like how much money you can deploy into a building to see a yield on that would, uh, you know, meaningfully move the IRR of your asset. He's doing the math now. He's helping you do the math. And in five years from now, people won't buy your building anyway if it doesn't have it. So you better get going on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, seriously. Well, yes, uh, Ugo Bazari, who we spoke with today in Colin Lynch too, they kind of touched on that, that in other countries that are ahead of the curve of this um, compared to Canada, yeah, like you just literally cannot sell your building. And that's, you know, that will become here at some point. It's humming. It's happening. I think that's probably it for Rob. I think this concludes our Toronto Real Estate Forum experience. Thanks everybody for listening to the end. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.